Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter from Sacramento via San Diego. Wow, what a stretch, man. And good things are happening to Kyle. Um, his book on the Spurs is coming out in two weeks. Really excited about that. The Sacramento Kings that he's covering are in fuego, uh, unexpectedly. Um, light the are, beam. Yeah, light the beam, baby. And we want to spread a little of that magic to the Arizona Cardinals, who are now facing a major decision, um, you know, uh, as to who to hire for their head coach. I believe very strongly it should be Lou Anarumo, um, and I'll explain that during this podcast. We'll start with Brian Flores, who, who uh, decided to take the bird in hand when offered uh, the job, uh, the D.C. job by the Vikings. Um, as I wrote on Twitter, Twitter, something just didn't seem right about Flores, the Cardinals' pursuit of him. Um, waiting two weeks to even get him in, in for an interview was weird after hiring Monty Ossonfort. You know, the, the connection there would have seemed automatic. And then uh, the minute uh, they finally do interview him, breaking news, the Cardinals are flying in Dan Quinn tonight for his second interview. And, um, you know, a lot of us took the bait on that. Like, you know, wow. Cardinals making a move for Dan Quinn. That was a quick pivot off of um, Brian Flores. Because I, I don't know about you, but I was almost, I was expecting perhaps they wouldn't let Flores leave the building and they get it done right there. And then suddenly Dan Quinn's coming in. We know how that worked out um, with Quinn. So um, part of the speculation was that, that, Quinn lost interest when, in part, because uh, certain conditions the Cardinals um, were uh, making in terms of the hire. Um, so, um, <clears throat> you know, regardless, not sure Dan Quinn was ever really going to buy in anyway. Um, and then the whole Sean Payton charade, which has now even backfired further with reports from Terry Bradshaw that that. Peyton turned the job down because of Kyler Murray. That's what, how bogus is that? I mean, and the whole Sean Payton thing is bogus to me in the first place. It has been, has been, I've, I've been on Twitter expressing that from the beginning. I'm just glad that the Cardinals didn't, you know, um, hire him. Um, uh, so much of that just seemed uh, wrong and, we still have the three, number three pick in the um, upcoming draft, something to be very excited about. And, um, you know, it's a rare time, you, you know, you rarely get a pick that high in the draft. So, you know, and the, the opportunities to um, improve the team with that are profound. And um, whether they stay put or whether they trade um, and, and amass a stockpile of picks, you know, it's, it, it but it, it, it's an auspicious situation to have that pick. And ultimately, that's what it would have taken um, to um, 
you know, make a trade with the Saints um, that they would accept for Sean Payton um, because that was the wild card the Cardinals had. And um, I don't know if Michael Bidwell would even go there and offer that pick. I don't think that he did, but regardless, it's all moot now. And Peyton's in, in Denver without a DC. Um, you know, but I, I don't want to waste any more time on Peyton. Um, and, um, but now there are seemingly two finalists remaining. Mike Kafka, Giants uh, offensive coordinator, who is uh, getting, you know, letters of recommendation on national media from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And that's all very encouraging. And I have visions of him bringing back the romance of play action, bootleg, bootlegs and waggles like he did incessantly with Daniel Jones. And I said all year to myself, why don't we see anything like this for Kyler Murray? Um, and, the, and the Giants are doing it so well with Daniel Jones, who, um, you know, you got to give uh, Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka a ton of credit for um, turning around uh, Daniel Jones and the, and the, and the Giants' fortunes. Uh, they had kind of a year like the Cardinals did last year where they started off really hot and then really um, stumbled down the stretch um, and then lost big time in the in the playoffs in round one um, to, you know, Cardinals did to the Rams, uh, the Giants did to the Eagles, who are now going to be playing Sunday. Um, so just to clarify for people who might not know before his one year as Giants offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka was Patrick Mahomes' quarterback coach for four seasons in Kansas City. Correct. And Mahomes loves him and, you know, Reed does too. Mike Kafka is a very bright, you know, you get a Northwestern degree, you're doing something right. Um, you know, he's a very bright young man and kind of uh, a promising young coach. And under more favorable circumstances, he'd be a great pick. But at his age, at 35, and relatively, you know, um, small experience, I mean, this, what does he have? Five years NFL coaching experience, one year as an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, like, like Kyle said, four years of being Patrick Mahomes' um, quarterback coach and doing some uh, – you know, passing game coordinating for the Chiefs. And, you know, he won everyone's respect and um, admiration in that building, in the Chiefs building. And that is so encouraging. It makes you want to hire him on the spot. However, um, you know, there's speculation that, you know, this is why Michael Bidwell has held on to Vance Joseph um, this long because then he could pair um, Mike Kafka with retaining Vance Joseph. And, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, many of us have been on, in a constant debate about the virtues or the, the lack of them for wanting to keep Vance. Let me just put it to you this way. I put up a poll on Twitter yesterday. I asked them, um, who do you want to see which which coach do you want to see coaching Will Anderson Jr. or Jalen Carter? 
and my three options were Lou Anarumo, uh, Vance Joseph, or Other. All right, would it surprise you to know that Other got more than Vance? <laughs> and Lou Anarumo got 80-some-odd percent of the votes, of 200 votes so far. I think the poll's about to close because I started it yesterday. Um, that in itself, I mean, you know, the other I'm assuming is, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, Jonathan Gannon, who has already said the Eagles are, are keeping me, which meant cha-ching. Um, you know, he's going to get handsomely rewarded. One gets the sense that this Eagles staff, they're like thick as thieves. They love the chemistry. They're going to do financially whatever it takes to keep them all together, whether they win the Super Bowl or not. I mean, I think it would be a mistake to think that at this point you're going to be able to woo away Steve Steichen or Jonathan Gannon. I just don't see that at all. I mean, if, you know, look at the at the – the candidates have already turned the Cardinals down. I mean, I can't see, you know, them being in this sort of a primo situation in Philly and taking on what is, you know, what is a very risky situation in Arizona. And we have to understand that. And that that's part of the reason why I feel like Mike Kafka at his young age being saddled with, and, um, you know, the issues that the Cardinals are facing as an organization at his young age, combined with being paired with um, a defensive coordinator who just got passed over for the head job and would be naturally indignant about that or should be, you know, passed over would be having to, you know, serve under a coach with five years NFL experience. I imagine that would stick in Vance Joseph's craw, but he would play the you know good sport. And, you know, but when people were saying, well, Vance can be a mentor, like they were saying to Kafka, like they were saying how he's going to be a mentor to Cliff. Well, how did that turn out? How did that mentoring turn out for Cliff? Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I just feel, continue to feel so bad for Cliff, how he took, four fourth quarter leads down the stretch with four different quarterbacks and had a chance to win those games. And the defense gave it up every time. And, you know, um, and yet Vance comes out of this still on the staff. I mean, I posted on, um, on revenge of the birds this week in an, in an article about, uh, you know, about Vance that, you know, I put up Kingsbury's numbers in rankings for four years and juxtaposed them with Vance's. And I mean, it's not even close. It's not even close. I mean, the average is, I mean, Kingsbury has some top tens in there. Vance has got as high as 12, I think, or maybe 11, which is good in one of the years. But the averages of the rankings are just show a, a, quite a disparity between, you know, um, what Cliff was able to accomplish over the course of four years and what Vance was. And I, I mean, we also have now, you know, here's the other thing is 
there's like a herd of elephants in the room in the, with the Cardinals that someone's going to have to, you know, figure out how to solve. I mean, one of them obviously is Vance Joseph because, you know, it, it's been the talk of this whole search is that um, candidates been asked to, you know, take him on as a DC. Um, you know, I'll put it this way. If Lou Anarumo says, fine, I'll keep Vance, but he's calling the plays and he's installing the defense and he's getting it his way, then I have no problem with that. I mean, make make Vance Buda Baker's personal safety coach. And, you know, I mean, or make Vance, you could even call him the coordinator who's helping to do the install. But if, if, Lou, if this is Lou Anarumo's, Anarumo's defense with him making the adjustments and calls, then I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, and um, you know, I don't know how Vance would feel about that. He coached with Lou uh, with the Dolphins a few years back. You know, Vance would probably feel like he's better qualified. But if Vance looks at the job that Lou Anarumo has done in Cincinnati, I mean, he's he's put it this way. I mean, the Chiefs were you know, giving, you know, raving reviews about Mike, Mike Kafka, but if they were smarter, they probably should be doing that about Lou Anarumo because he has, um, you know, imposed his will on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs three of the last four games they've won. Game of chess, wanting to get Lou Anarumo out of Cincinnati by going to Arizona. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in the one game they lost was on a flukish um, you know, roughing penalty, um, you know, unnecessary roughness, uh, <clears throat> that was unfortunate and young player who's overzealous, um, who's going to be a dandy for them and was having a great game. That happens sometimes. I mean, we suffered it with Isaiah in the Patriots game, uh, when it's hit on the, you know, out of bounds. Cam Newton even had a foot still in bounds and, and Isaiah got called for it um, on that play. It's just a play you really got to pull back on. And, you know, but, um, but unfortunately another elephant in the room and someone we wouldn't expect is Buda Baker. I mean, this bromance with Vance, um, you know, it's just, and now Buda took to Twitter yesterday and he was, ranking on Cardinal fans who like they don't understand um, never understood Vance and all the great things he does. Someone posted the great uh, Brett Coleman video of showing how Vance was, you know, um, was poorly, um, you know, using these zones with Chandler Jones and coverage um, and why that was just not a good good tactic um, and personnel wise and what he did with Suggs and how it, it prevented Jones from, you know, being what he should have been um, all, all the time is edge rushing that edge every chance he could get. And it's a great video and I'm going to post it on, on this revenge of the birds on the, on my posting of the podcast. It's a great reminder that, that of how, um, you know, how poorly designed 
the Cardinals perso personnel always has been under Steve Kime and Steve Kime never understood three, four prototypes uh, for positions. Never. I mean, in all his time since for 10 years, I mean, he just didn't know how to draft it. Didn't know how to dress it. He had in all that time, one player who was a prototypical 34 edge. His name is Hassan Reddick and he's playing in the Super Bowl. How they ever let him out of the building is beyond anyone's wildest imagination and is a major indictment on the dysfunction and lack of, um, of uh, football acumen that has, you know, has um, taken the Cardinals down right at the top. And, you know, Buddha is just stubbornly holding on to Vance and wanting Vance. And, you know, it was Buddha Baker at the facility when Monty Ossenfort had his, you know, introductory conference, press conference. And, you know, and Buddha's made it clear he wants Vance to stay. And, um, and now he's on Twitter campaigning for it um, and saying we all don't understand. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the numbers just don't. I mean, I have to. I would have, if I could talk to Buddha, I would ask him, well, why then am I putting him? So all these fans who would rather have an other coaching Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, um, not even, you know, the top choice, like Vance had like 7% of 200 votes. I've got the final results here if you'd like them. Yes, please. So there, there's about 30 minutes left on the poll, but we'll call this the final results. With 202 votes, Lou Anarumo came in with 82.7%. Vance Joseph came in with 4.5%. And other came in with 13%. <laughs> you know, I mean... Three times even, as many votes for other. Right. Even if you add up other and Vance, it's nowhere close. This is why Lou Anarumo is the guy for the job. And there's a lot more to it that I want to explain. But first of all, it's become clear to all of us from the beginning that this Cardinal search was very heavily defensive-minded. You know, that was the first thing that really popped out. They had Frank Reich in, and then after that, it was a, it was a parade of defensive coaches until finally we got to Peyton and... and um, and Mike Kafka, I mean, just all the top defensive. Jiro Evero was in there, and was, he's a, such an exciting young young coach. Who, um, you know, I, I mean, I, in a heartbeat, I'd take a Jiro Evero over Vance any day um, as head coach, DC, whatever. So, um, but because Jiro Evero covers people. I mean, it's, and his defense is tackle. I mean, if you have a defense that fundamentally doesn't tackle, you have no chance. And, you know, the Cardinals aren't the worst tackling team in the league, but they're certainly not among the best. And after four years, if you're, if you're um, you know, um, emphasizing tackling after four years, that should be a calling card. That should be something you, you could count on the Cardinals to be doing instead. I mean, this past year, like I said, I, 
and watch the games sometimes with my good pal Trish. And I every time we watch, I say, watch, the first guy at the ball will whiff every time. And we only we just get to the point of laughing, almost to the point of me rather do that than cry. Because it's just unbelievable how poorly um, coached those guys are to tackle. And it's usually Buddha who's cleaning up because he's one of the only good tacklers on the team. Buddha and J.J. Watt, tremendous tacklers. Um, and Zayvon Collins is a good tackler. He's a little inconsistent um, still, but he's in year two. He can be a dominant player. Isaiah's inconsistent as well, but he's a great chase tackler. Um, you know, you can do better stepping up, um, you know, meeting tackles, uh, meeting running backs in the holes. He he, But he started doing that this year better than he has, which is good. I mean, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something we need someone to come in and change that around immediately. We need someone to come in and change around the fact that we almost never covered a running back, that simple swing passes could go for 30 yards easily. Ask uh, Debo Samuel um, that, you know, anything to the perimeter was, a you know, looked like a chunk guard play waiting to happen. No contain um, almost ever. Selling out to defend the run, which is a wrong thing to do. Um, unless you're in a situation down on the goal line or something, and you have to in, in that situation. I get that. But not in the middle of the field. Um, you have to be better at defending the run straight up than what the Cardinals were. And then all these tight ends just having field days. And then, you know, the Cardinals, Vance Joseph's defense, here's the key stat. In QBR, they were 31st. That means that quarterbacks had their way consistently with Cardinals defense. That's a key stat to look at. It's QBR. Okay. So, you know, and then who had the number one QBR on defense? Lou Anarumo. I mean, if you've, if you ever accomplished that as a defensive coach, you know, this is Belichickian. You know how Belichick gets in quarterbacks' heads. But if you put up the biggest resistance to quarterbacks in the NFL in a season, you're doing something incredibly right. If the Cardinals have an opportunity to get a guy like that, you know, and I mean, it's just a no-brainer. And that that's the thing, is that, you know, this. so the Cardinals do this heavy defensive-minded search. So doesn't that just say to you, you know, if they were confident in Vance Joseph, you'd think they'd be heavily offensive in their search, right? But no, and that says something. That says something right there. Um, and so why Michael Bidwell has, you know, like hung on to Vance and, you know, and, and you know, touted him as such a great leader of men and stuff. And, and Vance has all kinds of positives. I mean, he, he can talk a, a cat off a tuna truck. I mean, he really can. He's very persuasive. He's a dynamic speaker. 
He's got, you know, um, strength. You know, he's got some charisma. I get all that. But at the end of the day, what shows up on film is what really matters. And, you know, as Brett Coleman tried to show us a few years ago, what's going on on film um, belies all, all, you know, senses of logic and common sense. I mean, because it's just silly. Um, he had clips of the rare times that Suggs was asked to drop into coverage. I mean, it was just, oh my goodness. It was just mind-boggling. So, but but anyway, um, you know, what I don't get about Buda Baker is that, I mean, he was on that defense that surrendered every lead down the stretch. I mean, and was was really one of the absolute worst defenses in the NFL this year. I mean, you know, um, so I, I don't get where his allegiance to Vance is more important than his allegiance to his teammates. Because while Buddha's thriving in Vance's system, his teammates aren't. And after this amount of time they should be and the fact that they aren't should mean something to buddha should mean a lot to buddha and i think buddha would be pleasantly surprised to find out what a what a um lou anarumo defense looks like and how it covers the bases and how you know it puts the clamps down on you know um in coverage, just to start with, I mean, in that four-two-five is made to order in certain ways for the Cardinals personnel, and to think of what he can do. And you know, I think one of the guys, the players that really makes his defense work is Jesse Bates. And um, fans are already saying, "Well, we can't afford to to sign Bates." Oh, yes, we can. Oh, yes, we can. Um, the Cardinals have not had, I mean, they've sacrificed playing Buddha and Jalen at free safety when neither one of them is a rangy ball hawk um, like Jesse Bates. So, I mean, if they brought Bates in to be part of the leadership, um, Kyle and I talked last week about Jermaine Pratt, who's one of the best cover linebackers in football. You want to cover a tight end? Hello, Jermaine, cover Kittle. Um you know, adding him in there would be huge as well. Put him next to to uh, to Zaven, and then play uh, play Isaiah at one of the three safety spots. If it were me, I'd I'd move uh, Jalen Thompson over to corner, where I think he'd be fine. He's, he'd be a great force in the run from the corner spot, and you know, um, he's not bad in man coverage not great in deep coverage on zones you got to be great in this league if you're going to play zones your back end has to be really solid the other more cynical part to that that i looked up is that if monty austin fort wants to retool the roster it's not impossible that they move off of jalen thompson this offseason if another option like jesse bates comes available correct and that's another point is that yes the cardinals extended him but at the same time I think there's enough trade value there too. They might be able to get some, get a trade for him if need be. But 
but in Anarumo's system, you need safeties. So, you know, the, the key part now is that uh, you need to get that slot corner safety <clears throat> and um, that uh, Lou Anarumo has with, with Mike Hilton. Hilton made that defense work. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so he, we, we need that. There's a guy in the draft that's absolutely perfect for it. The, the reason I brought that up was just because yeah. if they designate him as a post-June 1st trade, they actually save money against the cap this year. Yeah. And then it's about the same dead cap hit next year, about $11 million in 2024. Oh, it's 11? Yikes. Ugh. It's 11, but it would be about the same if he were on the roster. They're paying him 12 million next uh, right. 20, in 2024. So they would oh save money God. in 2023, but then right. take the cap hit 24. Hey, you know what? Move him over to corner. Um, He's got what it takes. He's a baller, Jalen Thompson. And he's played enough corner to be good at it. He's just not a rangy, instinctive, safe, you know, um, deep safety. That's what he's not. Now, there's other, it also could be that Lou Anarumo can come in and coach him better as to how to play deep and maybe he improves in that area. So that, I wouldn't rule that out either, but I think if, given, you know, other options, the other fascinating thing to me would be to see what Anarumo would do with Jay, with uh, Isaiah Simmons at deep safety. Oh my God. I mean, talk about the, the length and speed and range. And at Clemson, he had great instincts on the back end. Um, you know, he's such a, you know, a valuable, versatile chess piece. It's just tremendous that we have him. And, and we need a defensive coach who can bring out the best. We know this. Bring out the best in Isaiah. Get his head right. Bring out the best in Zavin. Get his head right. Um bring out the best in the young talent. You've got my Jay Sanders now and Cam Thomas, two young players. I think we can build around, you know, hopefully they bring Zach Allen back. Um, you know, he, he, I think Lou would really love Zach Allen fits Lou's system really well. We're going to need, you know, Richard Lawrence to come back strong. Um, we need going to need to add a nose tackle. Um, Lawrence can play the nose, but, we're going to need to add someone at that spot as well to, you know, we're going to need depth there. Potentially and, an upgrade over Lecky Foe too. Yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe Lou gets Lecky going. I mean, that's another thing. Um, Cause Lecky certainly has the physical prowess. He's just not an instinctive football player yet. And, and, um, and, uh, uh, you know, makes enough plays on the ball. I mean, if you had Michael Dogby's ball sense, you put that in, in um, you know, Dogby's a guy I, you know, I think Lou would really like. I mean, Dogby's tenacious. He's just not, you know, doesn't have the size that Fodu has, but Dogby's a, you know, he, he uses what he has really well. Um, and Tristan Hill coming back, um, I think he's on a, like a restricted free agent or, uh, you know, um, I think he, it would be easy to bring him back. He showed some good flashes and, and graded very well on PFF. I was seeing the other day, he was up in the seventies, I think, or he was one of the top grades of the season. Uh, Buddha had the highest grade. 
But I'm just hoping, you know, that Buddha can move off of Vance and, you know, um, and give 100% to whoever coaches him next. Although, you know, there's the threat of Vance being the guy with Kafka. And, um, I don't know how that's going to shake down with Cardinal fans. Um, I don't think it'll be well received. I think all of us have been leery of that, of the potential of that happening. And, um, and I, I would ask the question, you know, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury coached a top 10 offense during his time here. Mike Kafka has yet to do that, but he's only had one year calling plays. I mean, you know, would just hiring Mike Kafka be an upgrade over Cliff? I mean, Mike Kafka's probably got more of, you know, a, um, maybe a head coaching like sort of um, demeanor um, than Cliff, perhaps. But at the end of the day, those demeanors don't mean anything. What what means everything is getting the players in a position to make plays to win games. I mean, you look at Mike McDaniel down at, you know, Mike McDaniel's bizarre. I mean, he's quirky. I mean, his press conference before playing um, the Bengals was that, you know, um, that Zach Taylor was the most handsome guy in the league. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, dude, seriously? <laughs> and, uh, I think he was being part facetious and, but the way he went on and on about it, it was just like, <laughs> I mean, this talk about quirky, but here is a, you know, the way that the NFL is evolving now is that if you bring a special talent to the, to the head coaching position, you are in vogue. And that's why I think Lou Anarumo has that special talent. I also think that it would be better for the Cardinals to hire someone a little bit older who's been around the block more times than Kafka or someone young. Because, like I'm saying, you're going to have to have a real, real savvy veteran handle and solve what's going on within the organization and have a plan to do that and have the resolve and the tenacity to do that and the gravitas to do that. I'm not sure the players are going to react to having a 35 year old coach again or a younger coach. I'm not sure that's going to grab their attention as much. And, you know, I mean, Kafka's going to have his day. There's no doubt. And he might have his day this, you know, he might be the guy, but given the choice, Lou Anarumo seems like head and shoulders, the top choice. And I think it would be a mistake for the Cardinals to prolong this any further. And if I were Lou Anarumo, if I heard the Cardinals were going to interview more people next week, I'd say, screw, you know, I've given you my best. If that's not good enough, you know, as I wrote in a recent article, the famous quote, time and tide wait for no man. Bidwell is on, like, I don't know which was was more crawl ball. His crawl ball handling of, of Kyler Murray's contract situation, wherein he let this drama fester for months, 
or the crawl ball version of an offense we saw for the first half of the season ad nauseum or the crawl ball handling of this hiring search. I mean, I wrote this on Twitter the other day. I said, this is why I wanted a GM with charisma, like an alpha GM. Like alpha guys don't sit around. Alpha guys don't bring in 15 to 20 guys hoping that like spaghetti on the wall, something sticks. Alpha guys have a plan. Alpha guys have the tenacity to go and get their guy. And they don't know in advance, they'd have a list of three or four guys that they want that fit exactly what they're looking for. You know, and one gets a sense that Michael Bidwell, he just loves being the hot shot at these interviews and, you know, and that, that this is his favorite part of the job when it, it shouldn't be, you know, the favorite part of the job should be watching a coach, putting a coach in a great situation to win ball games and supporting him and getting him the personnel he needs. Not every three or four years pulling up the, the, the tent stakes and, you know, so you can go on a, you know, two month um, interviewing um, program um, just just agonizing the weight. And, you know, that's why I thought Flores just said screw. Took two weeks to get him in the building. The very minute he leaves, Dan Quinn's being rushed in. Quinn thing didn't work out. It takes two more weeks to announce we want to have him back. I mean, you know, this is on Bidwell's timetable. And you know what? His timetable um, is pretty shitty. <laughs> Well, we talked I mean, before about recognizing the Sean Payton thing was not a real situation and that it was a leverage play with the Broncos. I if know. you take the if you take the other two guys, Dan Quinn and Brian Flores, if you were serious about potentially hiring those guys, that means right. you're on your plan C or plan D at this point. And I think that's part of why it's taken so much time. Exactly. And look at what the Panthers did. They're the first one to hire. They grabbed Frank Reich. Albeit controversially, because Steve Wilkes had the unanimous support of the players, but they made that move, and now they end up with a Giro Evero as DC because they made a decision. And you know, one could—I mean, that's a major coup. I mean, I think even the you know the, the fans and the players in Carolina who wanted Steve Wilkes would. You know, if you pull them, we could get Frank Reich and Giro Evero combo. Would you take that over Wilkes and whoever he can somehow get as offensive coordinator? I, I, I bet you a whole bunch of fans and players would say, let's hop on Reich, Reich and um, Frank Reich and, uh, and Giro Evero. I mean, you know, but... That's why they say the early bird gets the worm. I mean, that's what that's what the the Panthers are able to accomplish. And you know, kudos to them. And kudos to Steve Wilkes who bounced back on his feet in San Francisco. Um, you know, that's a great landing spot for him, and it it's a just reward for for the progress he's made um, and in rebuilding his image after the Cardinals tore it down to the ground. Um, and, uh, some will argue, well, he did it to himself, 
I don't, never, ever believe that. Um, I think he was dealt one of the worst hands imaginable. And, um, you know, we can let's just move on from that, but I'm just happy that he's in a good place. And I think if he does well in San Francisco, he will be a head coach again. And I hope for his sake that he will. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so I mean, look what, and I like what, what, what Kyle said, because, you know, while the Cardinals were playing this charade with, um, you know, Sean Payton, guess what Brian Flores was doing? He was interviewing with the Vikings. Look at how that went. Yeah. That's why time and tide wait for no man. And I don't blame Flores. He had the bird in hand. He was offered the job. He's one of three finalists. He wouldn't put it past the Cardinals of spurning him. You know, he didn't want to lose that opportunity. Ironically, he went with, he joined up with a former Patriots um, colleague, not Monty Ossifort, but, but, but O'Connell. Um, you know, they were coached together, uh, Kevin O'Connell at, uh, at the, with the Patriots for years. So, you know, he's in a happy place and he'll have to, you know, rebuild that defense and to his liking. And I'm sure he'll be really good at preparing that team. They'll be better off. Um, but in a way I was kind of relieved on two, two counts that Flores acted the, you know, made that decision. One was, I was so nervous that if the Cardinals did snub Flores, what that would look like, the kind of negative reception that would get around the league. Because if you look at the three candidates that were left, there's no doubt on paper and in practice, I mean, Brian Flores had the most, you know, handsome resume most extensive resume. He was the most qualified, put it that way. I mean, none of the other guys have been a head coach before. None of them have won, had two winning seasons, you know, and, and had the success that he had in New England and four Super Bowl rings. I mean, you add all that up, there's really no comparison. So if the Cardinals brought him in as a finalist and then snubbed him, I mean, it's just would be, uh, I, I said at the time, if they're bringing him back for a second, he's got to be the guy. Got to be. I mean, you wouldn't want to tease him with that and then, you know, be like poking the bear. Um, not a good idea. So, but there was a relief on that end. But in the interim, while guys are away, I mean, some people can relate to this. How many of you have babysitters or, or you know, um, au pairs or whatever come in help out with the family while you you know your wife and you are are uh, or your husband and you are are both working you know what happens pretty quickly kids fall in love with the au pair i've seen it myself and then you're like what happened to us <laughs> you know and what happened in the interim for me was thinking that you know the Car cardinals were not all that interested in brian flores was that the more I looked into Lou Anarumo, the more enchanted I became and more enamored I became because of the special things he brings to the table. 
and I just like his level of experience. Um, I think this is a good time for him to make the move. Um, you know, and he's, and the fact is, if he signed on with the Bengals four years ago, as bad as they were, and helped build them into, you know, going to two straight AFC championships in a loaded AFC and becoming, getting within a whisker and winning a Super Bowl, um, you know, he'd, he'd be up for the Cardinal challenge. I mean, imagine if he did that with the Bengals and then he does it with the Cardinals. I mean, he'd be like, you know, he'd be on a ticket to Canton, in my mind. I mean, <clears throat> I mean that would be stunning. But obviously, he's a guy that's up for challenges. And this is, a, whoever takes this job is going to be a brave heart because there are aspects to this that really need to be changed. Uh, to the organization need to change. There be uh, el there elephants in the room that need to be addressed um, and somehow reconcile with. And, and, you know, one elephant in the room just left is the potential for the PR nightmare that would could have happened if the Cardinals hired someone else instead of Brian Flores with interviewing him a second time. That one is now has been let out of the building. So, by Flores himself. So fine. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, and then, of course, the other elephant in the room is Kyler Murray. J.J. Um, Watt was asked by Dan Patrick to speak about Murray, and J.J. did a masterful job of deflecting um, and pointing out how hard it's, it's not easy to win Heisman's and state championships. And I thought JJ handled that beautifully. Um, but it's more about what he didn't say. I mean, he could have really gone about and say how great Kyler is. He didn't go that route, but he didn't um, do anything to disparage Kyler at all, which is good. I mean, at this point, um, you know, I was writing on Twitter today that, um, now, I don't know who's more to blame, Kyler or Bidwell. But as Jordan Baker says in The Great Gatsby, which is a, one of the all-time most foreboding quotes uh, in literature, says she, she said to Nick, where they nearly got in it, she's driving and they nearly get in, got in an accident out on the road, which is sort of, kind of like a harbinger to what happens late in the novel. She says it takes two to make an accident. And I think in, in this case, it was, you know, I tend to blame Bidwell more than Kyler because even though Kyler's 24 and should be a man, Bidwell should have been the man in the room. And he wasn't um, in how he handled this whole Kyler drama. I mean, it should have been nipped in the bud immediately. Instead, it created this just cesspool of negativity for Kyler for the organization. I mean, in all the back and forth of the moles that came out of the woodwork saying that the organization has huge concerns about Kyler's this, this, and that, that shouldn't have never gone public, but Kyler should have never approached his, his off season the way that he did. It was an egregious mistake. You don't come out of your worst game ever as a football player to the point where, 
you know, some guys were even saying on national media that like that was no NFL quarterback playing in that game. Um, you know, to then draw this type of attention, negative attention to yourself and like do it in such a cowardly way. I mean, at the end of the day, Kyler makes his own decisions. So some could say he was poorly advised. I don't think of it that way because it's kind of like if you agree to do it, it's like the Homer clause too. Kyler somehow agreed to sign the contract with that in it. Or maybe for some strange reason, he was never aware and then surprised like all of us were to find out. But there's another thing on Bidwill, the poison pill of the contract. I mean, the contract should have never happened in the first place. Never. I mean, with someone with those kind of issues and, you know, there was, it was pretty telling. I mean, I think Bidwell knew <laughs> Kyler would have been fine with being traded. I mean, when you scrub your socials of all things regarding your current team, what does that suggest to people? And, um, you know, it suggested what it was meant to suggest is that, Hey, I'm unhappy. And, if someone wants to bail me out, come and get me. And, you know, he miscalculated all that because I think he's he's not self-aware enough to know the scrutiny that was going to bring to him. And particularly if the backlash was from moles that came out of the woodwork saying like, well, there are issues from about Kyler. My main issue more than any, anything other of why not to, extend him after three years was durability and late season play. I mean, he hadn't finished one season strong. So, and I also, at that point, I still don't believe he's warranted to be coined a franchise quarterback yet. You know, yes, he was drafted one. Yes. He's homegrown. Yes. You would expect him to be that, but Franchise quarterbacks, I mean, look at Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. I mean, does Jalen Hurts have Kyler's total package of skills? No. But he has, he is a franchise quarterback um, because of the dedication, the humility, the sacrifice, the tenacity, the toughness, the ability to galvanize and bring people together the maturity, the, you know, resiliency. I mean, I don't know if there's a more resilient player in the NFL than Jalen Hurts. I mean, anyone who was humiliated the way he was in a national championship game when they sent two in and bounced back from that and, you know, had to sit out, you know, be second string um, for a year and then going to um, – and that worked out well because he came back in the next year towards the end and then going to Oklahoma and went, you know, and putting up huge numbers there. Numbers almost identical to Baker Mayfield's and Kyler's. I mean, you know, you got to give it to him. But he came into the NFL, what, a, what was he, a fourth-round pick, Kyle? No, he was picked in the middle of the second round. Oh, he was? Second-round pick? Okay. Yeah, but he was not. How many quarterbacks were taken ahead of him? Uh, I can name 
three for sure. Oh, four. There were four. So it was um, Joe Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert, and Jordan Love, and then him. Okay, so how would you rank those now? Uh, I would go Burrow and Herbert tied, however you want to debate those two. Then I would go Jalen Hurts. Then I would go yep. Tua, and then I would go Jordan Love. Yes, I got you. Yep. And, um, yeah, wow. Even even so, as a second-round pick, wow. Um, but, you know, that's where – that's where character, the character like um, Jalen Hurts's kicks in. Is that whenever he's set back a little, it motivates him. You know, and in the case with Kyler, with the with the poor game he had in L.A., it motivated him in an opposite way. It motivated him to want to rather get out. You know, flight or fight. You know, the old expression, flight or fight. It motivated him to, to flight, not fight. And, you know, whereas, you know, Jalen Hurts being taken the second round motivated him to fight. And being demoted at Alabama motivated him to fight. You know, there's a resiliency factor that you're going to get knocked down. Kyler's been knocked down now. Um, and now he's got to get up and fight and be resilient. And you know, I just wrote this on Twitter too. I mean, because he's not, I don't think what you would characterize, you know, doesn't have the, the virtues that you would ascribe to a franchise quarterback as of yet. You know, if Kyler gathers himself, I mean, could he emerge as, you know, as a bona fide franchise quarterback? No question. I mean, Kyler has not only the talent, unique talent, he's got the willpower. We've seen it. He's got the willpower to accomplish things that he sets his mind and heart to. The question is, though, is the daily sacrifice, the daily commitment, investment, and tenacity. You know, um, I'll tell you this. If Kyler comes back strong, and if he ever gets in tip-top shape, which gets the mind steely, you know when you're in great shape. That's why Larry Fitzgerald was so good for so long. He came in great shape every year. and rarely, He got dinged up, and he didn't get taken out, which is amazing to think of his career and all the hits he took. But when you are in great physical shape and you know it, that's how you survive. And it's, it's, you know, Darwinism. I mean, you just know when I'm in, you're in that great shape, you've made that sacrifice. You know, it's meant to be your, your armor, so to speak. And if Kyler ever got in tip top, fantastic shape, look out. I mean, because the, the mental toughness that would and confidence that would give him would be stunning. And, you know, not that he's going to take on linebackers and lower shoulders. He's never going to do that, nor should anyone expect him to do that. But, you know, he he knows how to maneuver around a football field as well as anyone. He knows how to get, you know, to the places he needs to go to get the team into the end zone. So, you know, the sky's the limit still for Kyler. Um, 
you know, is he a lost project? No. Um, but here's the other thing with Kyler's. What's huge is, is he where he really wants to be? And if not, he ought to come out and say it. I mean, he's got his back against the wall in Arizona right now. I mean, let's just face it. He's got a lot to overcome, not only with fans, not all, a lot of fans are still devotees and, you know, and, you know, are not as hard on Kyler or critical of Kyler as some or concerned about Kyler as some, but also with his teammates. Kyler's, I don't know how he's going to pull that off, but he's got to, you know, he's got to get back in their good graces. And some will argue, what? You know, his teammates love him. Um, no, well, actually, you know, it's just even if – let me approach it to you this way. I mean, even if you're just looking at human nature, I mean, think if you were a teammate of Kyler's yourself and you're busting your butt. You know, think if you were J.J. Watt. And you're looking at what's going on with Kyler. How would you feel? Now, the answer to that is towards the end of the year, J.J. Watt was using references, not naming Kyler by name. But, you know, a week after Kyler skipped or was late to a meeting, J.J. Watt was addressing the team saying, are you going to be a guy who's late to a meeting? And what does that tell you? <laughs> you know, and so... You know, there's just things that Kyler would have to repair. I don't know how he's going to do that without a major mea culpa and, you know, um, and kind of a bearing of his soul to his teammates and saying, like, you know, I was in a terrible place of mind. You know, I was got all caught up. I, the, the poison pill of the contract just got me so pissed off that, you know, Whatever it was, this is the truth of whatever it was. And just say, I, I wasn't there for you all the way that I want to be, the way that I always want to be for my teammates. And just can you give me the benefit of a clean slate to come in here and show you what I'm bringing this time around? Something like that would go a long way. And then, of course, everybody, you know, everybody wants to give, see, give people second chances, particularly when they're you know, show self certain amount of self-reflection and want a certain amount of atonement and a chance to prove, you know, all that can go well. And so, um, you know, but I mean, if, if I were the new coach, I'd just sit down with Kyler and the first thing I would ask him is, do you want to be in Arizona? And be honest, do you really want to be, I mean, is this part of the problem? You'd rather be somewhere else. You know, um, and whatever, if he said, yeah, I would kind of like to be somewhere else. Or he said, no, I'm now coming. I just bought my house in Arizona. You know, I've been through a lot, but I want to work it out here. And I kept a promise to the fans. I, I want to, you know, keep my promise. Now I'm going to dig in more than I ever have. In either case the new coach could just say, okay, great, Kyler, let's work together to, you know, work this, 
work this out to make these good things happen. Either if you don't want to be here, let's work together to find solutions of you being able to go somewhere else, um, which could be trades or a buyout of the contract or something. Concessions would need to be made. Or if you, you're really digging in now and really want to be here, then um, let's work strongly together to, to build this thing together the right way. Then you got to win-win. But you can't do that without the truth. You know, it's got to be right from the heart and where, where the heart is. I was saying on Twitter today, it was the part of the saying, could Kyler emerge as a bona fide franchise quarterback who lifts everybody up and, you know, is, makes the sacrifices and super tough and is a galvanizer and this and that. And I said, without question, when Kyler sets his mind and heart to things, you know, great things can happen. I mean, look at him whenever he plays at AT&T Stadium. Look at the excitement he has. He's a different player there. I mean, he's living up to fans that he knows that adores him and stuff. And but I said at the end of that, it'd be great for the NFL and for Kyler for him to find his place and deliver on his promise. And I think that, you know, that's really exciting if that can happen. And I, I would love to see it happen because, you know, um, it would mean a lot. Now I'd love to see it happen regardless of whether he's in Arizona or not. Um, you know, I'd love to see, I loved watching him play at Oklahoma and the spirit he had and, Love to see that come back and him loving and enjoying football again. None of which I think is Cliff Kingsbury's fault. Absolutely zero. I think it was Michael Bidwell's poison pill that just when things could have smoothed out and the drama was over, I mean, it just was like throwing salt into a wound, a healing wound. And just open it right up again. And, you know, it's just the worst timing right at the beginning of the season. And then Kyler's out for the preseason and he's hurt. It's just snowballed from there. And um, so, but um, Kyle, did you have other, anything on your agenda you want to talk about? Related to Kyler Murray? Anything. Um. Well, one of the things that I've found interesting in the last week is just that it seems like the Texans got, I don't know what the connection between D'Amico Ryans and the Texans was specifically, but I would have thought the Texans would have been a less desirable job than the Cardinals. Meanwhile, you know, D'Amico Ryans ends up taking the Texans job and wouldn't give the Cardinals an interview. We've now seen Dan Quinn and Brian Flores choose defensive coordinator positions over the Cardinals head coaching job. And, you know, coming into the off season, I would not have predicted that the Cardinals head coaching job would be, uh, I guess we could say the least desirable among the five. I just, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't know what's going on with the Colts. They're kind of living in their own world right now, but I would have thought that the Panthers job would be less desirable. I would have thought the Texans job would have been less desirable. And here we are with those jobs filled with candidates who couldn't, I mean, the Cardinals did interview Frank Reich, but they couldn't really get those guys in the door. Right. It's a great, great question because the Texans emerged as the great winner, I think of anyone. And they did it despite the bad karma of, 
you know, um, firing two blackhead coaches on one and done seasons. And, and making the- your team pastor, your team president. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, but you had the loyalty of Houston. You had, you know, it was really the drum major of this was J.J. Watt. He was pushing big time for Ryan's in Houston. And, um, you know, it was stunning to see the way he rallied behind his former teammate. I think J.J. Watt created an impetus, as, as did others. But I think he planted in D'Amico Ryan's head, hey, go back to where it all started. Wouldn't it be great if the Texans were good again? You can do this. You got a clean slate. See, now I think it's pretty clear that because the Texans have such a high pick in the draft, you know, they can now draft their quarterback of the future. And they're not encumbered by one right now the way the Broncos and Cardinals are. And in both cases with the Broncos and Cardinals, there are major question marks um, and worries about what this means down the road if, if both those quarterbacks continue to struggle. So those jobs came with kind of an asterisk, you know, attached. Is you, if the coaches would have to been willing to sort of work things out. Yeah, there was I the report a- this week in the same Terry Bradshaw one that uh, Sean Payton took the Broncos job in spite of Russell Wilson being the quarterback of the team. And I'm sure that... Peyton has the autonomy to move off of Russell Wilson if he so chooses. Correct. And Peyton is a quarterback guru. He's kind of like John Gruden. Um, he's going to get options in there. I predict that for if he came to Arizona, which I didn't think ever would happen anyway. But if he came to Arizona with Kyler being out for a year. I mean, I think, you know, in, their, in his case now, I mean, he already made the smart move of, not having Russell Wilson have his own team of coaches around him. And, you know, he's going to pull the strings on all that, but I think he's going to have a plan B from day one if Wilson struggles. And I think he'll put that job up for competition as should the new Cardinals coach. They should get somebody in there um, who can be a viable starter while Kyler's on the mend and be in competition with Kyler when he comes back. I wouldn't, you know, just hand it right back to Kyler. He's got to earn it back. Well, I think the uh, thing but- we're learning also is that there's just a shortage in quarterbacks now in the NFL because right. uh, I think going into last year, I would have said there was about 12 quarterbacks worthy of paying top dollar to that number might be down to like six now. Um, right. Basically. Right. Cause for, for 10 years, we weren't really putting quarterbacks in the NFL. If you look at who the best quarterbacks age, like, 28 to 38 are right now it's like Dak Prescott and Geno Smith and that's about it right yeah no and so it's always been a key you know like the holy grail if you can get a great young quarterback boy what does that what does that do for your your franchise and if you don't have one what does it do for your franchise and um you know, there's just too much uncertainty with that in the in the uh, in the Broncos, and 
you know, also what the Broncos and Cardinals have in, pro- have in common is firing coaches after one year. Even, you know, Wilkes didn't get fired in season, um, at least. But there's the volatility of that. And then, you know, they fired Vance after two years. They fired Fangio. What was he there? Two years? Three? Fangio got three years, at least. Yeah. Um, so but... the last three coaches are two, three, and two, three, and one. <laughs> Uh, you could take it back further than that. I mean, Gary Kubiak retired for health reasons, but he ended up being right. the offensive coordinator of the Vikings a year later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did the Bruce Arians. Um, the ghosts. Uh, yeah, no. So you have that history too, which is daunting. I mean, particularly for anyone who worries that, you know, that, this might be their only shot. I mean, if this doesn't work out, they'll never be a head coach again. Now, Steve Wilkes is like Lazarus back from the dead. He's back in a position where if he crushes it with the 49ers, he's going to get another head coaching job and good for him, you know? Um, But often you're not, you think Lovey Smith will get another head coaching job ever. No, because he wasn't going to get one after being fired from Illinois. The only reason he was in a position to get the Texans job was because they wanted to hire Josh McCown. And the NFL was like, you cannot hire Josh McCown without any coaching experience. Right. How about Hackett? Think he'll ever be a uh, head coach? I will give that one time because it's not like he can't get a job. Like when when Steve Wilkes got fired, he had to go be the defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri before he worked his way back in Hackett immediately got an offensive coordinator job. So I'll, I'll wait and see on Hackett. Well, actually so did Wilkes. He was the Browns DC first. You're right. He was, that was that the, um, the Freddie kitchen season. Yeah. And so kitchens was one and done there. The whole staff got replaced. You know, he was, he was uh, victimized by being in a couple of, you know, like hornets nests. Um, and he didn't do too bad a job and it wasn't tremendous, but it wasn't bad. It was pretty solid in, in Cleveland. Um, and in time, I think he would have done even better, but, but yes, you were right. He had to then go, he took, took the risk of going to Missouri to, to take his wares to college. And maybe he was thinking, maybe I could be a college head coach at some point, you know, but but kudos to him for his resiliency. Talk about being resilient and, and his tenacity and just sticking to it and believing in himself and, and you know, being himself, uh, not changing, you know, um, just being himself. I mean, I've always loved this was the poet Robert Frost, um, when he was trying to sell his poems to American publishers, uh, virtually every one of them came back. No, you know, these are kind of folksy poems about, you know, backcountry roads, not really going to sell to the mass public. And, you know, it's just, it's not going to catch. And Frost didn't believe that fortunately and that's the thing about people who are resilient they're like 
no, I, I think my poems have universal tones to them that could appeal to anyone. So you know what he did? He went over to England and shopped his wares over there. And in England, they embraced him. They were like, oh, my God, these poems are amazing. And um, so when Frost came back from England, all the American publishers were lined up. What a change, you know, um, and, you know, that it speaks to people's character that they can be like that, you know, like, no, I'm, I'm going to be me and being me doesn't, you know, doesn't work that I don't care. I'm going to just still be me. I'm not going to conform to somebody at what somebody else wants. Um, I'm going to believe in what I do and believe that it works and it, because it works for me. It might work for somebody else. So. But I doubt that Hackett will ever get a head coaching job again. Um, I, just, I think the odds are unlikely because, I mean, yeah. how many one-and-done coaches ever get another coaching job? I mean, besides, like, Bobby Petrino going back to college, like, in the right. NFL, one-and-done coaches never usually get another chance to be a head coach. Right. And uh, I think Wilkes is probably on that track. It took him a few years, but... Wilkes is on the track to getting that job again. Right. Do you think Cliff Kingsbury will ever be an NFL head coach again? Depends on whether he wants to be an NFL head coach again, because I presume if and when he comes back, he'll be a coordinator somewhere. Right. Um, I think someone would take a chance on Kingsbury, but he's in the territory of when he gets a job, it's not going to be a good job. Kind of like how you know Frank Reich got fired by the Colts and he got a second coaching job he just didn't get a very good second coaching job with the Carolina Panthers I don't think like an ideal job is lined up for Kingsbury but I think he's got a chance well and I think the Panthers could actually that place could be a gold mine and because of how weakened the the NFC South has become now that Brady's out of the division too and you know New Orleans is trying to regroup and Atlanta is still, you know, um, rebuilding. He's yeah, got- I, I get that. The the thing that I point to with that is just Carolina doesn't have good ownership, it would appear. Um, the way they've run yeah. the team the last few years has been not very good. Right. Um, they have maybe the money, the- right? Yeah, maybe. They, they have the money and the resources. And now, you know, they've got a great defense. I mean, with Evero, they're going to be, they could be lights out. Um, and if they get a, the court, that whole key is getting the quarterback and and one who Frank Reich can bond with and uh, whatnot. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, so I just mentioned that because some guys, you know, here's the, here's the dichotomy is that if you're offered a, head coaching job, one of the rare 32 in the world, you ought to hop on it, right? But then you worry, like Flores, I bet, did with the Cardinals. If I failed at the Cardinals, I'll never get a head coaching job again. Um, He might have thought that. Other guys might. Because you want to come into at least a favorable situation like D'Amico Ryans has with a young roster that's got talent, it needs developing and a chance to 
build around a franchise quarterback, hope you know, that you can take in this year's draft. And it wouldn't put it past me if if uh, Ryan's decided because of the defensive studs at the top of that draft with Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, they're in a position to take either one of those, that they might stay put and sign Jimmy Garoppolo and take a quarterback later in the draft. They already have Davis Mills. Um, you know, just as a maybe wait another year to get another quarterback, but have a veteran in place they can win with now. Because that division is wide open too now. The Titans have come down to earth. The Colts are in disarray. Um, the Jaggy Wires are transcending. Um, but, uh, you know. Yeah, but the Jaguars are like the sixth best team in the AFC, even if they are better than the rest of right. the division. Right, but you win your division, you get a home playoff game, and mm-hmm. you know everybody's zero zero start every year. And and with so, you, I've seen a lot of mock drafts that have Carter or Anderson going to Houston. I just I can't imagine anyone passing on Bryce Young. Bryce Young seems amazing. I don't know why you would leave him on the board. I agree, but the, you know there the skeptics would say he's too slight of build. Um. You know, but I, I when I see Bryce Young, I see a playmaker like Mahomes. I said the yep. same thing. The way he shifts his feet around to open areas, the way Mahomes does, for, and can pull that trigger the way Mahomes can. Um, once he, you know, gets a gets a, a passing lane. Yeah, I I love Bryce Young. I mean, if he fell to the Cardinals, I don't know. And Will Anderson was off the board. Gosh, I'd I'd take him. I would. I mean, he's. I also really like C.J. Stroud. Um, I I think. Wow, I think Stroud. So, what does your Cardinals big board looks like? It seems like number one, Will Anderson. Number two, Jalen Carter. Number three, Bryce Young. And then you don't have to worry about the rest because you know you're guaranteed to get one of those three. You know. I'm higher on some other defense. I have def- some defensive players higher than Jalen Carter. I, I love Carter's ability to get pressure, but there are aspects of his game. There's There are reasons why his numbers at, at Georgia were not good for someone as prolific as, as physically as he, as he is. Um, and um, that concerns me a little bit. I'm also always very worried about taking defensive tackles in the top 10. Um, more often than not, they don't pan out. The guys that I have way up there, Brian Branch of Alabama, I think is the all-around pound for pound, the most dependable, consistently good player, defensive player in the draft. Um, guy's a tackling machine. Four year, in three years, he missed four tackles, 170 tackles in Alabama, missed four times. That is an unbelievable percentage, and he's a lockdown uh, slot corner. Um, which in today's football, like you know, he he would be the perfect player in this draft for um, Lou Anarumo to draft because of his system. I mean. He would be Mike Hilton on, you know, Branch would be Mike Hilton on on stilts. 
I mean, he would be unbelievable. Um, the other kid, kid I love is Witherspoon, the corner from Illinois. Oh my God, his tape is just breathtaking. Um, have you watched him at all? I have not. I didn't watch very much Illinois football this past year. <laughs> yeah, he's oof, my goodness. You have a treat in store. Um, you know, he's a real dandy. Um, wow. I also up there at the top, I mean, I love Bryce Young and I love CJ Stroud, both of them. I'm a little nervous about Will ne Levis. I think he's going to take the right situation and the right coaching. Um, but he's raw and very talented. But I wouldn't risk a top five pick on Levis myself. Yeah, he's a classic middle of the first round kind of guy. Yeah. And, you know, there's some other guys I'm sort of interested in later. Herndon Hooker, I was very impressed with. Um, his poise and accuracy. Um, of course, he's coming off the injury, so he'll be a day two or day three pick somewhere in there. Um, yeah, I kind of like him, and and uh, yeah, I'm still fascinated with the Georgia kid. I mean, he's just such a winner. Except now he got busted for uh, you know. Stetson. Oh, you're talking about Stetson. Yeah. Stetson Bennett. <laughs> yeah. Someone someone's gonna take a chance on him. I'm someone's gonna bet on him in the sixth round of the draft. Well, let me I think he'll go sooner than that. And the reason is Brock Purdy. I mean, what can what can you know Stetson Bennett do that Brock Purdy can do? I mean uh, yeah, that's fair. I think the difference is Stetson is three years older than Brock Purdy which probably changes yeah. the math a little. Well, that doesn't bother me. I mean, the way the longevity of, of quarterbacks today, you know, I mean, that doesn't, in fact, I mean, in some cases, I think it might be um, an asset. Um, as long as he makes adult decisions like he didn't make, obviously getting popped for, you know, public intoxication, um, that, that was a bad look. Um, yeah, I, I think the best comp you could, you're going to find for Gardner Minshew, like Gardner Minshew is the best possible outcome for his career. If we're talking about Stetson Bennett at this point. Yeah, yeah. But I, I kind of like him and um, as someone down the line. Clayton Toon, I, I liked watching in, in the All-Star game. I, there's something about him that looks pretty smooth to me. Uh, I think he's got... He's got upsides. So, you know, there are, there are guys on day two and day three that could be interesting to add in. I think that what the Cardinals need to do is they need to sign a, a veteran like a Gardner Minshew or, um, you know, Jacoby Brissett. You know, someone to come in and be the starter next year. I mean, I'm not expecting Kyler back at all. I think it'd be great if he did get back, but those things take time. And, and I respect that. That's not something I'm critical of. Um, you know, I wouldn't, it would kind of actually surprise me if Kyler played at all next year. Um, just because of how long those, those take and the ACL 
rehabs take and him being in a in a mental place where he's going to trust it and that's going to take time also jumping in at some point during the season to then finally get reps in a new offense is going to take time too so there have been a lot of moving parts there that suggest to me that we're going to need a you know a starter and bring in a veteran i think colt mccoy unfortunately is you know because of the physical ailments he had this year, um, he's great to have in that quarterback room. But I, I don't think you can count on him to start stretches of games. Um, it's not ideal to Colt. show up with only Colt McCoy and nothing else. Right. I like this kid, David Blau, um, that they brought in at the end. I think he plus I'd like to see him throw into his college teammate, Ron Dale Moore. Um, Blau showed some some really good things. He got banged up, um, uh, concussion, I think, or something. Um, but uh, I wouldn't mind him back in the fray with with, but a more established veteran. And um, yeah. So, one last thing before we go is that uh, the the guy that that we're hearing um, that Lou Anarumo would is pitching literally <laughs> as his OC is Dan pitcher, uh, the quarterback coach for the Bengals and an FYI on him. Pitcher is also a native New Yorker. Lou grew up in Staten Island, Dan in rock in Cortland. Um, and Dan pitcher was a three-year starting quarterback at Colgate. And then, uh, went back home to Cortland state division three and, was a finalist for the Gagliani Award, which is the Division Three Heisman. Um, so, you know, he had some success in college. And then, you know, he's been with the Bengals pre-Zach um, Taylor. I think he's been there five or six years. Um, stayed on the staff, quarterback coach. They like him a lot. They just gave him a handsome raise. Their plan with him is that if Brian Callahan moves on, that he would f become the OC. Now that the, there's an asterisk to that because Zach Taylor calls the plays. So it's a B enemy esque kind of scenario there. Um, although I think B enemy calls, calls more plays than, than Bengals guys. Um, and uh, so, but pitcher is getting some interest around the league. The bucks are having him in for a second interview. If he hasn't gone already, it's going to be in person. Um, what what Dan Pitcher would love to do is, you know, be an offensive coordinator so he can call, get that part of his career going and play calling. By all accounts and everything that I've heard, he is a very talented young coach. He's good with quarterbacks. Of course, you know, look at what he's done when, to help Burrow. Um, so that's pretty exciting, I think. And as a, you know, combinations of, of uh, Lou Anarumo with Dan Pitcher, I think that's a winning ticket. Um, I think that's the winning one and should be. Um, although, you know, kudos to Mike Kafka. Uh, and, you know, unless there's some wild card where Kafka is somehow, you know, gets uh, 
the autonomy to hire his staff and he's got a great guy on defense uh, that might make it closer. But right now, uh, Lou Anarumo looks like the guy who could really um, be the difference maker of turning this program back around and, and dealing with the elephants in the room. So that would be my theory going in. It's what I'm hoping for because I think now's the time to really buckle down and get the Cardinal, Cardinals defense straightened out for whomever the quarterback is. I mean, if there's enough talent on that side of the ball and what we can add in this draft to make this defense special. And it just hasn't been developed yet in the ways that I think are um, really important, but particularly is how um, tackling and containing and covering is emphasized. So, I mean, anyone who can lead the NFL as a defensive coach in QBR gets my vote, and that's Lou. Sweet Lou. <laughs> so, anyway, that's the forecast. Um, maybe by this time next week we'll have an answer. Um, and um, in the meantime, I've been enjoying uh, mixing up with you all on, uh, on, on Twitter, at WBJ Mitch, and then at – Revenge of the Birds, we've been getting great conversations going in the comments all week. Keep it up. My my guys there, I mean, my teammates at ROTB, you guys are awesome, man. And it's just a joy to be on that site. We have so many knowledgeable Cardinal fans and uh, passionate Cardinal fans, and we we debate everything. We turn it upside down, we, and we do it respectively, um, you know, for the most part. Um, and we've got great mods. We got a Red Sea is a mod. He's awesome. Um, so, yeah, we take care of that. We keep it clean and respectful. And uh, so, for those of you who haven't been on Revenge of the Birds, get on there and join in the conversation. Everybody gets a voice. Everybody gets a say. And you know, support your claims and stay. You know, let it loose. It's cathartic. Um, and it's challenging because, you know, we got a lot of personalities on there, really fun. At times, it's hysterical. Guys are uh, really funny. So, um, yeah, we'd welcome you there. And uh, until next time, uh, thanks so much to Kyle, um, my, you know, my right-hand man here on Red Rain, and to all of you who've helped. I mean, last week we had a great turnout. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, um, appreciate your support. So until next time, may the red rain of Super Bowl confetti shower down on you into the red, red sea. Red rain. <laughs>